Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and today we're going to be talking about slow sex. And I'm here with my beautiful wife. How you doing, babe? Oh, I'm, I'm doing okay, thank you. But I don't think that the listeners heard the first word. Slow sex. Yeah. And that's what we were trying to slow things down in the Roseland bedroom. Am I doing a halfway decent job at this? Oh, yes. You are doing an amazing job. That's exactly what you're <laughs> supposed to say. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, anytime. So this is a book and... I was browsing YouTube a while back, just looking for different videos about sex hacking stuff. The books about uh, tantric sex that I've read have got me interested in this whole world. And I came across this video, real popular video. I think it had millions of views on it of this guy and gal, and they are not in a bedroom, they're in what looks like a living room. And I think you remember the video, babe, they lie down on some cushions on the floor, the woman takes off her pants, and the man puts on a rubber glove. Remember this video? Uh... No, I don't think I recall. Okay, okay, we can watch it again yes. for your pleasure. Of course. And the guy goes and gives the woman a, a rub down. They have a 15-minute rub down session there in their living room on YouTube, and they do not show the, uh, the pussy. I um, don't think that's allowed on YouTube. Not sure what's allowed on YouTube anymore these days. And this is a, it, it's a sort of a sexual thing, but it's also sort of a mindfulness intimacy thing. And we tried it with mixed results and I thought we'd talk about it. So I watched this video and this is called Oming, like O-M-I-N-G. And this is a thing that uh, apparently people do there in uh, San Francisco and also here in Bulgaria. Now, I think we might be the first in the country, quite possibly. And I had, uh, so I got, I got curious about this. And go ahead. John, you should explain to our listeners what OM stands for. Uh, orgasmic meditation. Yes, this is important. Yes, that is a cool marketable phrase. It's not like OM, you know? It's different. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, thanks, thanks for clarifying. Okay. That's pretty important, actually. So I watched some of the other uh, videos on Nicole's channel. She's kind of the guru of this and she had some different presentations she was giving some seminars she was answering some questions and while i was watching these videos i couldn't quite make up my mind 
if this woman was like a deranged postmodernist, a, uh, a one of these crazy feminists, or whether she was really profound. I, I couldn't quite make up my mind in between those two things. So I said, okay, I'm going to add this book to my reading list and uh, see what she has to say. You know, people, when they put out YouTube videos and the podcasts and all that, that, that kind of gives you an incomplete picture of their body of thought on whatever their expertise is. So you got me this book also. Oh, yes. And I might suggest to the listener that they read books about sex hacking stuff. If you are one half of a couple, especially if you're a monogamous, conservative-ish kind of person like me, read books on sex hacking stuff from time to time. And I I understand, I understand, uh, some people might be a little bit resistant to this, especially if they are sort of conservative, like we are, uh, some of these uh, books come kind of packaged with uh, a, a lot of kind of liberal language, but actually, I think there's a lot of value in in these sorts of things, in these sorts of books. Earlier this year, I actually read a book by a male feminist, which was uh, She Comes First, which was the book about cunnilingus. And I, it actually didn't, I, I haven't done any cunnilingus since I read the book. Uh, we figured out that uh, cunnilingus is, is not really for us, but, yeah, that's true. but, or for me, but there was some there was some value in the book. There were some things that I learned in the book that I think have have made you happier here in our Oh yes. Ladies and gentlemen, I feel compelled to explain that even though Cunnilingus is not our thing, it turned out to be fingering. Yeah. And Jonathan has been pretty diligent in this department as of as of late. It's been, it's been my pleasure. Okay, so let's get into the book some. So let's explain how this is actually done. So it's a stroking, stroking of the pussy is what this is all uh, about. It doesn't necessarily have to be a part of making love. It can be isolated. It can be a a sort of a sort of two person mindfulness practice, and you get uh, okay. So I will quote from the book: "You'll need three part three pillows." I was about to say three partners. No, <laughs> no, not three partners. None of that. You'll need three pillows, your partner, and a journal for this exercise. And you place the pillows in a triangle on top of the bed or on the floor. Oh, that was the exercise. Actually, I'll refrain from mentioning that that was the first exercise we did. Well, actually, let's talk about this. So you do three. This is an exercise. This is actually not really a sexual thing. You do three pillows. And you remember, babe, one pillow is going to be 
the seat of science. And yes, then the other pillow is going to be the seat of art. And then the third pillow is going to be the seat of listening. And you park your partner on the listening pillow. So I was there on the listening pillow. And then when you're on the seat of science, what you do is you describe a a fantasy of us making love, but you describe it in really mechanistic type of terms. You kind of just describe exactly what is going to be going on. You're going to be grabbing my uh, left thigh with your uh, right hand while stroking my boobie. Things like (laughs) that, (laughs) right? And so then you describe that and then you move on to the seat of art. And that's where you talk about the feelings, where you talk about the the feelings that you want out of uh, your fantasy lovemaking session with your partner. So that might be the thing where you say, I want you to grab me like you have all the desire in the world to make love to me. And the world is about to end because a comet is about to impact right in the ocean next to where we live. And I want you to make me that wet. Something like that. And the other person just does the listening. And then what you do is you ask the other person to mirror back to you what you've heard so that we're doing like an active listening kind of thing. So we can move on to describing how the OM itself is done. Quote, OM is most often practiced between a man and woman. The woman removes her clothes from the waist down. She lies down on a bed or the floor and butterflies her lovely legs open. Her partner places a pillow under each of her knees to for support. He sits to her left with his left leg over her belly and his right leg under her knees where he can both see and access her genitals. Once in position, he looks at her genitals and describes in a few words what he sees. He then applies lube to his left forefinger and starts to stroke the sensitive left side of her clitoris using a very light stroke, light touch. He continues to stroke for 15 minutes. So you might say, I thought it was slow sex. Well, I guess it's uh, I guess it's, it's slow enough that guys will enjoy it. <laughs> it's slow enough for guys, which is about 15 minutes during which time both partners place their attention on the point of connection between them. The stroker may ask the receiver yes or no questions and adjust the pressure and direction of his stroke based on her feedback and the sensation he himself is feeling in his body. 
when the 15 minutes is up, he grounds the sexual energy that has built up in her body by pressing the palm of one hand firmly against her clit for a few seconds. Did you like that part? Yes, I think that was my favorite part. Aha. Then each partner shares a frame or a description of one particularly memorable moment of sensation they felt while oming. The practice can be done as often as you like, but I suggest a regular practice of three to five times per week. So that's it. It's a surprisingly simple thing. So you're basically just kind of giving that special lady in your life a stroke job. But it's, it's, it's a thing that I think is worth trying for the couples out there because it's going to be different than your regular lovemaking. I think, you know, in your regular lovemaking, uh, there's this tendency, there's, there's so much going on, you know, we're thinking about, um, we're thinking about our own pleasure, we're thinking about the other person's pleasure, we're in a rush to take off our clothes, we are switching positions. Um, as a guy, I'm trying to hold back from ejaculating <laughs> prematurely. There's a whole lot going on. And a lot of times, regular lovemaking is not, it's not as uh, mindful as I think it probably should. And so this is kind of a meditative sort of thing. And I did it the first time. Remember, I used my, my M-Wave device, actually. Oh, yeah. I took a measurement of myself because you are supposed to time yourself while you're doing it. It's supposed to be about 15 minutes. I think that's just kind of a an arbitrary time limit that they came up with. And I'll add here, let me see if I can find, <laughs> uh, I call this the pussy stroking session, which I did back on March 23rd. Let's see what I got. Is that it? Why doesn't it show up there? I don't think I got a particularly high coherence uh, when I was when I was doing this with my heart math device, although that's that's not really necessary. That's just kind of something I did because as a biohacker, I like to quantify as much as possible. But I suppose the, the benefit is that you're putting all of the attention on the, uh, it's usually the woman, the person receiving the stroking. This is uh, something that is, she describes it in, in her book. Uh, a lot of times with uh, lovemaking, we're kind of worrying a lot about uh, reciprocity. We're thinking about that a lot, or at least we should, about the other person getting as much pleasure 
as we are. And the oming is really something that's focused on the pleasure of the woman, of the person getting the stroke job. That's true. And then the uh, and then the the job of the woman during all this is really not very complicated at all. Uh, she it's kind of a meditation thing for you. And what you're supposed to do is just focus on the sensations and then provide uh, provide some feedback. It's good to keep the communication channels open. I, I gather that a lot of women have a bit of trouble communicating their needs in bed. Uh, women have uh, a tendency to just kind of surrender in bed, which is the way it's supposed to be. But they, a lot of times they're not communicating exactly. Go a little faster, go a little slower, a oh, little, little bit. Yes, yes, you've gotten good at this. And uh, this exercise is, is an exercise where the woman can get better at communicating her needs, which is just gonna, that's gonna result in her being uh, all the more vibrant and her being all the more happy. So I do think this is something that in a roundabout way pays off for the dude, for the stroker in the situation. Well, in our case, it didn't really work out much because of the position. Yeah. Okay. So we do have to note we did try this and the the side position was not really for us. I mean, did, no. you, did you have anything approaching an orgasm? No. From the side position? No. No, but from the front, from the front position? Oh. Yeah, definitely. A lot of waves of pleasure. Yeah. Have emerged. Yeah, so we readjusted this and I got in front of your pussy and we kind of uh, scissored our legs around each other. And uh, yeah, this has been my finding with the pussy stroking and might not be for everybody, but my finding is that you can imagine, dear listener, dear dude out there, put your hand in front of you and make a backwards L, okay? Put your right hand in front of you and make a backwards L. And then you can imagine uh, stroking with your thumb. And that has been the optimal position for for us. And I think you've actually achieved uh, quite a few orgasms this way at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when up until up until that point... You, it wasn't, I wasn't doing a great job or it, or it was, there was a lot of room for improvement. We can put it that way, Definitely. right? Definitely. Okay. I, I tend to agree. Yeah. So I might suggest to people to try it in the way that Nicole suggests in the book and then do the thing where you just get right in front of each other. And I'll move with that explanation out of the way because it is, it's, it really is uh, pretty, pretty simple. It's kind of hard to screw up, 
I mean, I guess the major way you would just screw it up is by not uh, properly clipping your fingernails beforehand. Guys out there, aspirational sex hackers, make sure you clip those fingernails. A few other things she mentions that I thought were kind of interesting. Vibrators. Babe, remember when we did our podcast about the the vibrator conspiracy? Oh, jeez. This was a while back. There I'm was, not sure. I think there was some guy complaining that... Uh, that, that, that too many women were using vibrators nowadays, which might sound a little bit silly, but actually vibrators are not a, uh, not a great idea for uh, long-term pleasure for the woman. And Nicole says in here, I always feel bad about mentioning this because I know how much fun and effective vibrators can be. But the unfortunate truth is that they are also hard on a woman's tender parts. They give a lot of pleasure to a very wide area. And the result is that they tend to numb the sensation in the clit itself. So for women that want to have a lot of great sex with a man vibrators are actually not a good idea. It's it's like an over, you know, it's like so much in life is that if you overload yourself with pleasure, then you are kind of robbing pleasure from the future. And it makes perfect sense. The clit has, I believe, 8,000 different nerve endings right on it. It's the highest concentration of nerve endings in the body and if you really bombard that with a vibrator then it's going to numb up and uh normal sex is not going to quite measure up to it well john uh what are single women supposed to do then they're supposed to go to church and find a good man no seriously i would okay well, I would think just masturbate. I mean, masturbating is not that bad. Without vibrators? I mean, masturbating feels pretty good for women, right? You've done it. <laughs> well, I've never used a vibrator. I masturbated for decades with just my hands, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Well, you're not a Okay, okay. Yeah, well, I guess it's a trade-off that women need to think about. Uh, of course, the over time, the it's not permanent damage. I don't think that it does to it. So it's kind of one of those things where, you know, maybe if you're a lady and you have used vibrators when you're single and then you get a boyfriend or you get married, then maybe... You know, maybe go and put the vibrator up for sale on Craigslist. Get rid of that thing. <laughs> okay. Also, I should say that a lot of women probably use vibrators because their partners are not up enough to the game. Yeah, yeah. I think that's also... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a thing where it probably enables a lot of men to be kind of lazy, right? 
that too but i think that the vibrators are just consequences yeah okay she also writes, without access to the kind of slow, deep orgasm that Ohm offers, we're missing out on half of the nutrients we need in life. I think she's talking about women. At the risk of sounding dramatic, it's as if all of us, men and women alike, are suffering from an orgasmic deficiency whose symptoms include, but are not limited to, the following difficulty connecting to other people, lack of true intimacy within, rela within a relationship, deficit of sexual turn-on, especially in women, inability to feel sensation or be present in our own bodies, disconnection from our own desires, uh, underlying sense that something more is possible in life and in general. She also writes, we begin by reversing all our norms and test driving something new in their place. This reversal may look like it caters unfairly to the women, but many men discover that there is something deep within them that gets touched and feels inexplicably good when they are called into service in this way. So something that she said in the book, and I'm not really sure if I can say I experienced this, but she's saying that a lot of men that try the ohm thing, that they like really enjoy it, that there's a feedback loop of pleasure that goes on there, which, you know, there should be. With, with human beings, there's the, the intim intimacy, uh, or not, in, not intimacy, but there's a feedback loop that we get with our, our fellow human beings, and we certainly should in bed. And so for the guys that may say, well, this sounds boring, just stroking the pussy, what's in that for me? Try it. And I didn't myself experience like some mystical, special pleasure sensation that was different from normal love making doing this, but I, apparently a lot of guys do. So I think it's worth trying for that reason. She wrote, noticing is where the stroker looks at his partner's genitals and speaks a few sentences describing what he sees. And so at one point, I would say about at the midway of the ohm session, that 15-minute session, you want to make an observation. You want to just look down at her pussy and describe it in a, in a complimentary way. And did you like it when I did that? Yes. Okay. I totally did. Okay. Great. Part of the stroker's responsibility is to watch the time and alert his partner when there are two minutes left in the ohm so that she can kind of uh, get her body uh, so that she can, yeah, so that she knows what's happening. There's also the fact that 
more often than should be statistically expected, we find the exact sensation as our partner during the ohm. So uh, again, there's going to be, uh, yeah, there's going to be some feedback of pleasure, most likely. And she gave some advice to men, actually, because apparently a lot of men are kind of uh, nervous about this. They are wondering if they are doing it the right way. And she said, guys, when in doubt, stroke for your own pleasure rather than hers so that you don't, because uh, as men, we tend to get in our heads a lot and we are uh, wondering if we are actually doing it right. Okay, chapter four was troubleshooting. And she says, so here are the facts. Many women do not climax or go over during ohm. So this is kind of, like I said, this is kind of one of these mindfulness things where it's good to go in without a lot of expectations, where it's good to just be there for the journey, for the experience. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, uh, ladies may or may not experience a climax. It can be a thing where it can take some time to work up to that. She also writes... 15 minutes later, the only frame I would be able to offer was a careful description of what numbness feels like after a lifetime of going harder in order to get more sensation and, yes, years of using a vibrator. My body was addicted to pressure. Without it, I couldn't feel anything. So this is speaking to the women that might have used a vibrator a lot and are kind of desensitized. Uh, this process is how you re-sensitize yourself. Yeah, uh, but you need to have a partner for this. Yeah, I agree. I do not like the idea of like doing this with random people. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Apparently, the I think Ohm has like some sort of social network membership where people sign up and then random people are connecting with each other and then guys and gals are, you know, plugging each other's home addresses into, into their Google GPS and driving over to each other's house and doing this with random people and... That just seems that just seems like a bad idea. Well, I just think that OM is, you know, especially for pe for people and couples who want to increase their intimacy. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally what I think is a tool for intimacy. Mhm. Mm okay, uh talking more about that. We'll move on to chapters it's not a casual sex kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't imagine doing this in casual sex. Chapter 6 says, uh, What men should know about women. And so this is this was actually kind of a good chapter. Uh, dropping, dropping some things to understand about the fairer sex. For example, quote, Her world looks like a spider web with everything intimately tied to everything else. 
So this is, yeah, a big difference between guys and gals is with, as men, we have our life compartmentalized into these uh, convenient uh, compartments that are different and isolated and have different approaches. And that's not quite how things are for women. The experience that you have together in the bedroom is kind of lumped together with for example, the financial stuff that you might, you know, have to deal with inevitably in your relationship. These things are all connected to women. Next, she wrote, when we ask for these things, she's talking about uh, like fancy things, consumeristic things like going out to restaurants, going on vacations, getting jewelry, etc. When we ask for these things, it's because we've learned to accept them as a proxy for what we really want but have never had access to. The animating, enlivening experience of having your full attention placed on us whenever we desire it. And this is kind of uh, a good point. This is something I talked about in my book. Remember, I had a chapter in my book, Don't Stick Your Dick in a Blender, How to Meet a Nice Girl. Instead, I explain in the book that women are not just into money. This is a big, this is a big myth about women, that women just like guys with money, that women just want guys with money. And this is, this is something where uh, women do have a part of them that desires a, a decent provider, but it's uh, totally wrong that women are just, have this natural obsession with, um, consumerism. It's it's often the fact that men aren't giving women true undivided attention and doing it often. And this is often what gives women this, this longing that they will attempt to feel with uh, material goods, with buying a bunch of crap and spending money. Right? Yeah. Although some women really only care about money. Yeah, I'm willing to believe that there's some of those out there. Unfortunately, uh, guys should try to avoid those ones unless you're unless you're like inheriting an oil fortune and you can afford to buy her ridiculous stuff until the end of time. <laughs> it's better to become a bit more attentive lover and pay that attention. Okay, next, Nicole writes, when she complains, ask her gently what desire is behind that. Coax it out of her until she believes you are earnest. Keep the game going, rather than collapsing under the weight of any one complaint. So this is another good tip when women inevitably complain try to try to dig a little bit deeper down try to figure out and what's really underlying that complaint especially if it 
as it often does, seem like kind of a an irrational complaint. If it seems like she's complaining to complaining to complain about some silly thing, that's a sign to dig a little bit deeper, listen a little bit more attentively. Nicole also writes, don't settle for letting her get her way. Her acquiescence is not valuable to her. What she craves is your participation. Your acquiescence, John. Your acquiescence. Okay, thank you for... her. Okay. Your acquiescence is not valuable to her. What she craves is your participation. She wants to come together with you and make a better decision than either of you would make on your own. Okay, babe. Mm -hmm. I'll let you go through the chapter what women should know about men while I get a bit more water. And then I will comment relentlessly. Okay. Okay. So next chapter is about what women should know about men. So Nicole writes, he judges how well he's doing by the happiness of the woman he's with. So that means that a man evaluates his own good work by how happy the woman is. Is this right, Joan? Yeah, I, yeah, sure. I don't have any objections. So basically, you measure yourself up to my happiness that's one measure that's not the only measurement because you know how i feel about happiness i one of the articles that i was uh, most proud of that i wish more people would read was the article entitled don't give a damn about happiness where i explain that happiness is a really, uh, it's it's an insufficient and misguiding goal to have in life that meaning is more important than happiness. So I would say when, uh, for myself and then also for you, I try to keep the compass pointed at meaning instead of happiness, but I realize that there's usually a lot of overlap Uh with you, the the compass, both compasses are usually pointing the same way. <laughs> that was a good explanation, yes. Mm -hmm. Because I believe that happiness is important to almost all people in the whole world. Right. But you're right, sometimes they just overlap. And it's really important to have meaningful happiness, not meaningless happiness. Yep, not the cheap thrills say no, no to those and you'll be happier in the long term that's true absolutely so next thing that nicole says is we women would do anything in the world for you they say if we thought it meant you'd be nice to us is this what she's saying about women or men oh i'm sure that she's saying it about women Okay, so we want men 
to be nice to us. So this is the main thing, right? Yeah. Okay. So do you think this is true or you think that women don't really need men to be that nice to, to them? I think that's pretty much true. Women in particular are all about avoiding pain or, or they are, yeah, uh, well, it depends. Sometimes their behavior leads them to pain, but at least their, their operating system, their internal dialogue, the way that they think about themselves. Uh, women are, if we're going to generalize, and we're generalizing here, uh, women are largely about avoiding pain. You can, you can meet guys that are, that pursue pain. You can meet guys that are, they consciously, they go to the gym or they do difficult things um, because they want the pain to, to prove themselves. But women aren't really like that, particularly in, in relationships. In I fact, in fact, I think that she's talking about men here. They say because I think that she's talking about men. If we thought it meant you'd be nice to us, we would do anything in the world for you. This is what men want, not what women want. Oh, really? I might disagree with her on that. Because men really, really, really want a really nice girl for a long-term relationship. They don't want the exciting, really experienced kind of woman. Yeah. Because she wouldn't be nice to them. Yeah, I guess we're getting to we're getting to really broad generalizations here, which is that yeah, like b most people want somebody to be nice to them. No shit, Sherlock, right? Yeah, I'm not sure what what was the next thing she wrote. Yes, 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 yes. We want to be tempted and teased, not poked and prodded. We want to be held and felt, not told what to do. This is definitely about women. Okay, yeah. And she's right about it. Yeah, I agree. With... I completely agree with her. Okay. And then next? It's a cycle of viciousness. We're being mean because we think he's going to dismiss us if we speak our, our desires directly. He's dismissing us because we're being mean. Hmm. Yeah, that is a cycle of... Viciousness. Um, this is why I'm a really big fan of being uh, explicit about things. Because, uh, uh, yeah, when you're hoping that the other person is going to pick up on some need that you have, that you subtly communicate, and then if that doesn't get communicated, then, yeah, you get into a cycle of viciousness. And that's not... Good. It's not productive and of course a man would dismiss us just because we're being mean. Okay, so we've got about 10 more minutes left in this podcast. Okay. So we'll talk about the four month orgasm. <laughs> right. So you say four month orgasm and the the ladies are saying 
Four-month orgasm? Yes, please. Well, I thought this was kind of a carrot that she put out in the beginning of the book, mentioning the four-month orgasm. And, <laughs> sorry, ladies, it's not really a thing. Uh, she has a chapter on it, but the in the chapter, she doesn't really describe anything practically for how you can achieve a four-month orgasm. That is, uh, I think, uh, that is, I think, uh, the nonsense that it sounds like. Uh, I think the idea is that if you're doing OM with some regularity, then you're going to have a, um, your body is going to not be so numb, especially if you were a, a raging vibrator addict like the author sounds like she was, you know, you'll, uh, you'll be able to get into more of a, an open kind of emotional state, but I don't think you're going to have a four month orgasm. Sorry. Although, okay, the chapter did have one paragraph that was very practical. It was useful for us, right? And she says, step three, this is during the ohm. So this is in one of your ohming sessions, one of those 15 minute sessions. As the receiver say yes out loud every stroke throughout the ohm, let yes be your moan, your vocalization. Notice how saying yes over and over affects the sensation you are feeling in your body. Pay particular attention to what it feels like to say yes to a stroke you would normally object to. Does saying yes change your experience of that stroke? What does it feel like to say yes to the light tickling tease? What about the grinding, piercing, nerve-jangling stroke? Continue to say yes out loud to every stroke. And you tried that? Oh, yes, I did. Did you like it? Oh. Did it change the experience much? No. Okay. Okay. I guess we're different than most people. Yeah, sure. At least the people that Nicole is talking about. We tried, Nicole. We tried. Yes. We also tried the the male ohm. Oh, yes. That was a very important part of everything. Now, John, yes. talk about it. So you can, you can switch things up and you can make the ohm about the dude, which is basically what you would imagine it being. It's uh, you're receiving a stroke job from your lady for 15 minutes. And I enjoyed this more than I can say on a podcast. This, this, this was great. Twice. It, twice. Uh, thrice, perhaps. Twice. So far, twice. Okay, okay. I'm hoping for thrice. Yeah, and the uh, first time he didn't even wait for the 15 minutes to be up. You know what? I waited about 14 minutes and 42 seconds. That's true, yes. And then I I had to have you. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, this 15 minutes, it, uh, it really built up the, the fire. We had uh, totally passionate love uh, after that um and it was it was fantastic 
I, I really enjoyed it. So, you know, so you could experiment with uh, having the guy be the stroker, having the lady be the stroker. That's something important? Yes. Oh, something important was that I, I failed to properly uh, moan as I was receiving my, my, my stroking. I think there was a few ejaculatory grunts that went on towards... <laughs> The very end, but I didn't give her the, I didn't quite give you the feedback that I should have, which will take it to an even sexier level when we do it again. So this is actually a good point that the other book mentioned. Uh, Guys, remember to moan a bit. I know that moaning might not come naturally to you during sex, but it makes it a lot sexier for the woman. She appreciates that that verbal feedback. We love it. Actually, we feel weird when we don't get it. Yeah. We feel unappreciated and we feel kind of inept to make a man moan. Okay, okay. Well, I appreciate you. <laughs> You're not in- inept. You're adept. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what a girl wants to hear. So, yeah, d- uh, actually you should both be doing doing the moaning. I mean, it kind of depends on if you're doing this as more of the meditative sort of thing or if you're doing this as a part of lovemaking. If you're doing it as the meditative sort of thing, um, oh, importantly, I will mention that the guy should should ohm to ohm. The guy should stroke to stroke. You don't necessarily do this as a foreplay thing you can do this as a a thing on its on its own but if you're doing it as a part of foreplay and lovemaking then by all means moan gentlemen and that's my take on the book i i think the book is uh largely for women that's what she says a couple times in the book that it's for the ladies. For the guys out there, there's a lot of great books on uh, sex. And I would maybe put this one kind of far down on the list of things to read. Because, because the OM practice itself is really simple. And there's uh, the YouTube video about it, which I will link to below this podcast. And there's a bunch of diagrams and instructional. You can easily figure out how to do this, guys, without reading a book by a feminist. So I would just suggest that you get out there and try it with that special lady in your life. Absolutely. Well... That's my thoughts on Slow Sex by Nicole Daedon. I'm Jonathan Roseland. And I'm his wife. And we look forward to a continued conversation with you.